What if you were able to sit down for lunch with some of the greatest leaders in the world? What would you ask? What would they say? Welcome to the Lynch with a Leader podcast, where you're invited to join us in learning the spiritual principles behind big success. Here's your host, Mike Lynch. I love sitting down with leaders. I love sitting down with leaders who are passionate about what they do, what they write, and how they lead. And you're meeting one of them today. If I've never met you before, my name is Mike, and it is my honor to welcome you to the Lynch with a Leader podcast, episode 199. 2024 is coming in strong, but I'm telling you, all of them are the same. We want to help you be that spiritual leader that God created you to be in the space and place that he has put you. And today I get to introduce you to an amazing leader. His name is George Camel. You may not know George, but a lot of you probably do. He is one of Ramsey's personalities for Dave Ramsey, has one of the hottest talk shows and radio shows out there right now. I first heard about George from my daughter and her husband who are big Ramsey fans. And I tell you what, it is so refreshing to sit down with George. Number one, he started from a tough spot. He started when he was broke, and he literally learned how to break free from being broke, and that's what his newest book is about, and it is so good. I want you to know that you're going to hear passion. You are going to hear somebody who worked their way up at Ramsey, and I'm just going to tell you, you're going to be a fan. I didn't know George at all. And when we got off that call, I love the guy. And you are going to, if you've got a college student, high school student, you're in your 20s or 30s, and you are learning how to break free or they're learning how to break free from being broke, it is incredible. So I don't know where you're listening from today, but I want you to do me a favor. I want you to pull up a chair and I want you to listen in to George Camel talking about his brand new book, Breaking Free from Broke. Can't wait to hear what you think about it. Well, George, thank you so much for joining me on this episode of Lynch with a Leader. It is an honor to have you. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here. I know uh, my friend Dr. John Deloney was on recently, so it's an honor to just follow him up. Well, he is uh, he 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 needs energy, man. I I don't know. I couldn't get anything out of him. He was just so calm and just just sits back and lets it happen. So, and all you get the one thing I've learned about all my Ramsey personalities I've gotten to be with through the years, you all have something boiling down in your gut that just comes pouring out when people talk to you. That is very true. I think that's partially why Dave said that's the guy and that's the girl because you got to have some passion and fire if you're going to wake people up and shake them and cut through all of the noise that's out there today. Uh, I don't know if Mr. Rogers would survive in this chaos. John, John, John Deloney is like Mr. Rogers on Monster Energy Drink, so yes. maybe that's just a different evolution. That is so true, man. That is so true. While well, we were talking before we went on, and I told you my my daughter and her her husband now – 
are huge fans of yours. They're massive fans of yours. And I, I remember when he was asking for my daughter's hand in marriage, he said, Mr. Mike, he said, your daughter, Mary Michaels, nine of the 10 things I prayed for in a wife. And I went, what isn't she? He said, she's not good with money. And I went, that's a valid point, Jen. And that's my fault. So as you oh. sit there where you're sitting now, a, a husband of your beautiful wife, Whitney, a, fa- a new dad, as you sit there where you sit, what crisis of belief got you to the chair that you're in today? What changed in George's life to make you go, I want to help people be better than they are. Mm. Well, I remember it was just 10 years ago that I was $40,000 in consumer debt. I was hopeless. I was frustrated. I was riddled with anxiety. I was cynical toward adulthood and toward all of the people and things that led me to this place. And the one finger I didn't point out was to the guy in the mirror. Mm-hmm. And that was a hard, that's a hard day when you go like, there's a lot of reasons for this and it's not all of my fault, but it's my responsibility. That to me was the major turning point when I was 23 years old, you know, a, a decade ago, I graduated college, got the big boy job and I had done everything everyone told me to do. I did it by the book. I got good grades. I went to the, I went to college and I did it at all costs. And that looked like Sally Mae's monopoly money. And I got the credit score and I opened the credit cards. And yet there I was, I and mean, my life wasn't any better. In fact, it was worse. And so that was the paradigm shift I had to make was I can keep trying George's plan. And we've seen where that's gotten me so far, or I can try a proven plan that's biblically based. It's common sense. It's God's and grandma's ways of handling money. It's the borrower or slave to the lender. It's wealth gained hastily will dwindle. And so looking at all of these principles, I had a choice to make. I could continue down this path of cynicism, or I could choose hope, which is about the hardest thing to do uh, in a world that feels chaotic and hopeless. And once you do that day after day, and you make progress, and you gain some momentum, you realize on the other side of this thing is some life change. I can, I can have a life I'm not exhausted by. I can leave a legacy I'm proud of. And so that's what I began to do as I followed these Ramsey baby steps, got out of consumer debt, met my wife, bought a home, paid off the home, became baby steps millionaires. And now I'm on the rooftops going, if an average George like me can do it, anyone can. How did we get here? How in the world did such a, an educated society that has so much going for it How did we allow the Georges of the world to get to the point where we go, dude, I don't know what to do. How did that happen? Well, I I talk about this in my book, Breaking Free from Broke. I lay it out because I wanted to have empathy. I didn't want to come like I was on the on the mountaintop going, I have found the answers. It was me going, hey, if you're like me, this is how you got here. It started with well-meaning parents who wanted better for their kids than they had. And that looked like well, you got to get an education. We didn't have that. And so that becomes, well, the guidance counselors are pushing me to to go to this school and get this amount of student loans as, quote, aid. And so all of a sudden, you have student loans that get compounded by the credit cards because you were told I have to get the credit score to live my adult life. And then all of a sudden, you have the car payment because that's just normal. And who can afford a car in cash these days? And so you you add the car payment to the mix. Then Your family and society is telling you, you got to stop renting. It's a waste of money. It's a sin. You got to be a homeowner. You got to be a homeowner. And so you jump into the house before you're ready while you still have a pile of debt and no savings. 
And then they say, hey, you got to invest in the future. So you start putting measly amounts into a 401k or even worse, investing into some of these traps that you heard about on social media uh, from some scrupulous characters. And all of a sudden you're doing 17 things at once. You're drowning in debt and you're not making any progress. And that's a normal path. That's, that's a very typical scenario from the people who call into the show. That was a lot of my story. And it's sadly very normal in today's world. And as you know, normal is broke. And yeah. if you want to get out of debt and you want to build wealth, you got to do some things that are weird, that look different from what culture is telling you to do. You know, what's so funny as I was prepping for this interview and your book, by the way, is phenomenal. And it's going to be coming out right when this podcast hits, Breaking Free from Broke. I was going through a leadership course with a guy named Steve Cuss, who wrote a great book called Managing Leadership Anxiety. And Steve said this, he said, it ain't what you know that gets you in trouble. It's what you know for sure that just ain't so. And I think think for so many of us, and he calls them, he said, anxiety forms from idols, what we live for when we're not living for Jesus, and childhood vows, what we believe to be true that's not always true. So let's talk about that. What are things about money that we believed to be true that aren't always true? Well, one of them is that debt is a tool to be leveraged. And this manifests itself in a lot of ways. And one of those that we hear all the time, and this is controversial advice on our part, but we, you know, people think you got to have a credit score to live your financial life. And I was one of those people. And I just thought, well, this is the, this is the game. I didn't create it, but it's the game I have to play. And this three digit score is something I have to be obsessed with. And I have to make sure that I keep it up. And then you realize, well, how do you keep your credit score up? Well, you kind of have to continually go into debt and continually pay it off and continually go into debt and continually pay it off in order to keep this credit score afloat. And so one of the things that happens once I became debt free and I closed all my accounts, I cut up the credit cards, is that my credit score six to 12 months later became indeterminable. Mm -hmm. It disappears. And all of a sudden you go, well, how are you going to get a house? You can't get insurance. You're not going to be able to do this and that. Rent a car, rent uh, an apartment. And I was able to do all of those things. To the point where I said, oh, my gosh, this is a scam created by the debt companies who are in cahoots with the credit bureaus who are, you know, handing out these scores. And so it was one of those things where I had to unlearn and deprogram through lived experience. And I was able to rent apartments. I got a mortgage without having a credit score through manual underwriting. And it didn't crush me. It wasn't that hard. And so I just want to tell people that that's one of the foundational things that I think is holding them back is playing a game that's rigged against them. It's Mm. like going to Vegas thinking like, I'm going to, trust me, I'm going to be the guy who beats the system at the table. I'm going to be real strategic here. And at the end of the day, you got to realize you're a rat in the maze and you think you've won when you've got the cheese, but you're still in this science experiment from this financial industrial complex that's designed to keep you broke. You spent a whole chapter talking about being chained to the system in your statistics are staggering. 37% surveyed say they're struggling or in crisis. 43% say they have a hard time paying bills. 50% struggle to pay rent. 38% to pay their mortgage. When you have call-ins and you you are just crushing it on uh, on the Ramsey Network with your show, when you and Rachel have call-ins to your show and when you're traveling and doing your thing, What do you hear from people emotionally that are chained to the system? What's the emotion 
behind what they're telling you that you're hearing from them? A lot of it is fear. And that that's most people. They're fearful at the end of the day of the day. And it may not manifest manifest itself through fear, but at, at the root of it, that's what's that's why they're making these impulsive decisions. There's a scarcity mentality that I'll never get ahead in today's world. So I'm just gonna YOLO, or I got all this FOMO. I have this fear of missing out on what could be. And there's so many options now because we have access 24-7 all of the time to everything that's ever been said in the world in the palm of our hand which means there's 4,000 ways I could invest. And so what's going to win? The loudest voices and the ones that have the most to gain from you. Those are the Mm. ones advertised in your Instagram feed saying, hey, this is the tax-free wealth hack that they don't want you to know about. And if it looks too good to be true, run. Run Mm. far and run fast. And too many people are falling for these traps. And I've always said, if you follow the trends, you're going to fall for the traps. Mm. And if it looks like the way grandma and grandpa used to do it, I know it's old school, but guess what? It works. When you can just live on less than you make, get on a budget, don't buy things you can't afford. It's amazing how much peace you'll have in your life. But we've gotten so far away from that thanks to buy now, pay later and debt consolidation. And there's always another hack that can get me the thing I want now because we have no muscle for delayed gratification. If your little girl grows up and she said, dad, I, I, all my friends have a credit card. I, I really want a credit card, what would you tell her? What's going to be your advice to your little girl one day when she's old enough to get a card because everybody's telling her she has to have a card? What are you going to tell her? Well, it's funny now because you see these Barbie dolls that come with a a purse and a credit card attached to it. And so you're like, who's paying for, oh, MasterCard paid to have this little plastic card attached to Barbie. Fantastic. And so one, one hard thing to do is to show them where money comes from. Money comes from work. It doesn't come from Capital One and MasterCard. And show them what happens when you use other people's money to fund things. It sounds great on paper, but guess what? Next month, when you get your allowance, you need to give me half of that because I'm the credit card company. And so if you show them an example of what life is like, I mean, you show them an example of taxes alone. My dad used to do this. We'd have the food, sir. I'd, get, I'd go get some you know, Chick-fil-A. He'd take a bite and say, that's taxes. That's just how the government works. You get something you really wanted and the government's going to take 25%. And so you teach them, here's how money works. Here's how much you actually end up with in your paycheck. Oh, and by the way, it's gone because of a decision you made four months ago to buy that thing that's sitting in your closet or that car that's sitting in the garage or that degree that you're not even using. And so all of those decisions have an impact. And what we need to teach our kids is that instant gratification is going to lead to long-term brokenness. And so you got to to learn how to live with a little bit of sacrifice and delayed gratification. And that's why when I teach my kid, if they want something, they're going to work for it and they're going to have to save up for it over time. Now, I'm going to give her gifts because it's a little girl. And like Dave Ramsey said, she's going to have you wrapped around her (laughs) little finger. So I'm still going to be a very generous person. But I want to teach her that money is not uh, it's not something that it can be a tool to give, save, and spend wisely. And it's not something that comes from the blessing of a debt company. It comes from you working hard. Your greatest wealth building tool is your income. You know, you talk a lot, you spent a whole chapter talking about student loans and that it's a legit crisis in our country. I mean, it is a legit, I sit down with little couples getting ready to get married and between them, they're 80 to a hundred thousand dollars. I mean, they're, they're starting below the ground when they're saying I do to each other with all of life that's going to be coming at them in the next couple of years. 
what's the right way? What's a way to break free and still go to college? Because college isn't a bad thing. College is a great thing if that's what you're supposed to do. What's the right thing that they could be doing to break free from being broke with student loan debt? Well, if you have student loans already, one thing is to realize that I'm in control of this and that I'm not going to sit back and let minimum payments do their thing or wait on the next president to finally get that forgiveness program working. You're just going to have to go, all right, let's look at reality. I'm going to choose reality, as my friend Dr. John Deloney would say, and we're going to go, how much do we make? How much do we owe? Mm. And by the way, if you're married, it's not her debt. It's your debt too. That's right. It's our debt. And so that's one thing you got to own. A lot of people get married and they go, well, uh, she had that debt before we were married. So it's a pre-existing condition. I'm the health insurance company. We're not covering that. That's how people treat debt when it comes to marriage, but you got to own it. If you're taking that person in you know, a lawfully wedded marriage, you got to take them all. And mm-hmm. that means their financial picture too. But it gives me great hope because with two incomes and two people running in the same direction, you can make a whole lot of progress very quickly. And we see that all the time on The Ramsey Show. Uh, my friend Jade Warshaw on, on The Ramsey Show with me, she paid her and her husband paid off almost half a million in debt. And most of that was student loan debt. And it took them seven years to get rid of you know $468,000 in debt. But by golly, they did it because they increased their income. They lived on less than they made. And they found more margin to throw at this giant pile. And for some people, it may take seven years. We found for most following the debt snowball method and baby step two, it takes them 18 to 24 months. Mm. So it doesn't have to be a life sentence if you just get intense about it for a short season. You were there. You are now on the other side of it, living with margin. You spend a whole chapter talking about margin, which is so good. What What's the benefit for a person who goes, okay, I'm just doing what I thought what I was supposed to do. And now I don't want to live here anymore. Why is margin worth living for? What do they get from creating that margin in their lives? Well, margin is this funny term, you know, usually here in a business sense of like, well, yeah, we got no profit margin. And that means the gap between our expenses and what we're making is real slim. And too many people feel that way in their life, let alone with their money. We got no margin in our life. We got no time. We live in the most advanced society in the world, and yet we have less time and money than ever before. How can that be? Well, one reason is that we're scattered. And we we are living, we're not living on less than we make. The debt payments are crushing us on top of inflation. And on top of, you know, Jimmy's got his soccer thing. We got to get the uniform and you got to buy the instrument for band camp. And all of a sudden life gets expensive. And so the best thing you can do is get out of debt to create the margin is maybe get that side job for a season to create that margin. Mm. And so the chapter is called margin is breathing room. And that's what I want for everyone. What if you could, when you make that budget every month, you go, Hey, we got 2000 extra dollars and we're already investing in our retirement plan. We're already putting money away for college. We got no debt payments over here. So this is all ours to do what we want with. How can we give this month? How much more could we put away for retirement this month? How, what kind of fun things could we do with this money? Maybe we go on that vacation that we said we were going to go on 10 years ago, but life happened. And so all of a sudden margin changes the picture. It gives you options. It gives you more joy and peace. And, uh, you know, one of the reasons why we got out of debt as aggressively as my wife and I did is I wanted options once we had a baby mm-hmm. and we just got to welcome this little girl into the world. And when it came time to talking about, you know, d- does she want to stay home or not? 
it was never a financial discussion. It was just an emotional one of where's your heart at? Do you want to continue working or do you want to um, stay at home with this baby? And we're still in that picture. But the key is we have the margin to do whatever she wants to do. And that's a beautiful thing that most people don't have those kinds of options because they got payments to make. You know, you got Sally Mae breathing down their neck. They can't just say the spouse is going to stay home or we're going to take that trip or we're going to give to that thing that we're so passionate about. They just don't have the margin to do it. And so that's the name of the game. We don't budget because we want to be nerds. We budget because it helps us ensure that we have margin to do the things we want to do. Let's say that crisis of belief never happens for you. You are still living George's old life. Lots of debt, going to work every day, trying to pay it off. What would be different about being married and being a parent if you had to change that? What would be different? What would be different about George? Same age, different place of work. What would be different about what you'd be experiencing in life? I would probably still have my student loans 10 years later. I would be carrying a car payment, just trading that thing in and getting another car payment. I would have bought a house way too soon and probably got a HELOC by now on top of that. I would be having money fights with my spouse regularly, and it would usually be her fault. And (laughs) I would be the one who's like, well, no, honey, don't just don't mess with it. I got my 16 credit cards. I'm going to maximize all the points this month. I transferred that one to the 0% balance transfer card. And I'm trust me, I heard about this. And actually, we're going to get a free flight out of this. You just wait and see that vacation (laughs) is going to be paid for by the credit card companies. Just, I mean, listing all of that off in this bizarro, George, I got stressed just telling you all of that. I felt the anxiety of what that life is like and going to work every day. We didn't even talk about that. How are you focused at work? How are you productive? How are you present with your family when all of this is looming in your brain? Because the body's keeping the score. It knows that you owe that payment. And it knows you haven't really fully figured this out and that you're real confident in this financial plan that somehow it's not panned out this far in your life. And so I'm on the other side of that going, all of everything I just told you, I live the opposite life. We don't have a mortgage payment. We don't have money fights. The biggest fight we've had is she says, well, I'm going to return this, so we're going to make money. And I go, okay, that's some girl math right there. You know, we've all had that discussion. <laughs> I made us so much money today. But these are, you know, real lighthearted fights we get to have instead of the ones that most of America is having, which is the leading cause of, you know, divorce. Right. Money fights and money problems in America today. And it's it's causing a strain on kids. And I'll tell you, I probably wouldn't have had a kid. We would have said, and I've heard this verbatim, people say, we're not in a financial place to have kids. Mm. My student loans, I heard this in the Borrowed Future uh, podcast and documentary. Our friend Josiah said, I don't want to raise a child in this poverty-stricken home. I can't be the man I want to be. I can't be the husband that I want to be because of this debt that I brought into this family. He felt the weight of that. And I've seen it too often, hold people back from their financial goals because of the debt they have. And so I want people to be free. That's the whole point of the book I wrote, Breaking Free from Broke, is because I believe that it's still possible in America today if you're willing to make the right choices and deprogram uh, everything you've learned about money, everything you think you know, and finally unplug from this matrix holding you back. Why do you think this, how we figure this out, why do you think it matters to God so much? Why do you think God is in this, the owner of it all, right, in heaven, Why do you think he cares about how I live my financial life day to day? That's a great question. You know, uh, my church that I go to, they merged with another church 
years back, and they inherited $7 million worth of debt in that process. And a few years back, they realized they were sending a million dollars every year to a lender just through the interest and the principal payments on this. And they woke up one day and they said, hey, what could we do if we had an extra million dollars every year? And so they got the congregation involved. And over the course of 12 months, the whole congregation was on board and they paid off $7 million of debt. And that's a fun story. But what's even more fun is the stuff they're doing now because they don't have a payment in the world with a generous congregation. And it inspires me because we are funding buildings to take care of families that are fostering children and adopting, and we get to cover the tangible needs with clothing and groceries. We have a whole center that we're building just to support single moms, car repairs and gifting them used cars. There's a, a center for addiction and mental health where we can help people heal from those. And so all of that to say, what could the church do? What could the people of God do if money wasn't an obstacle, but instead it was a tool for the kingdom and for impact? Not to bless ourselves, sure. Get you get yourself a nice car with cash, you know, spend, have an, go on that amazing vacation, be saving for retirement and retire with dignity. But the generosity side is where it's at. And it's why it's the last chapter in the book, Generosity is Joy. It's the most fun you can have with money. And I truly think if we can all get to that point, where money's not an obstacle, but it's a tool, and we start giving more, and we feel the joy, not just for the recipient, but for the person giving, it would change the nation. I mean, we could make the government irrelevant if we could start giving because we had the margin to give. And so that's the part that excites me about all of this, and I think that that's the stuff that makes God smile. Mm. He doesn't care. He's not mad at you. You know, if you're you're using the credit card, you still will go to heaven. I'll see you there. We'll have a good time <laughs> laughing about all this. But man. On this side of heaven, while you're on earth, the impact that you could be making, the life you could be living, the relationships that could be flourishing, if you got your money right, that's worthwhile. That's something worth chasing after. And so that's kind of the heart behind the, the faith aspect of it, which I think is an important piece for those that are believers. We should be leading the charge on generosity instead of servers being angry when they have to deal with the church crowd on Sunday afternoons who won't tip well. Do you see a lot of difference? And you talk to thousands of people. Do you see a lot of difference between between people that don't know the Lord and those that know the Lord and how they handle money and the whole broke concept? Is there a lot of difference between those two categories of people? Well, on the giving side, we do see that, you know, when tithing is an important aspect of your, your faith journey, that giving is a natural part of who you are. Uh, it's also a harder part for some people to build that muscle over time. But I, I do think that as a Christian, there's a different weight that is underpinning all of this because you see money as as not something that you are that's for you, but it's something that could be used for the kingdom. And you're just a steward of this. You're a manager of this money and you want to manage it well. And you know, the parable of the talents comes to mind in this in this idea of you know, how are you managing your money? Are you doing it in such a way that's going to create generational impact? I mean, Proverbs talks about this. A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. And while that can be character and principles, I think it also means what kind of wealth are you going to transfer generationally so that your kids don't have to know the stress of debt? And they're not worried about how, you know, the widow is not going to be worried about how she's going to take care of her family when she's got a pile of money from life insurance because the husband decided to say, I love you in a financial way. So there's a lot of just tried and true principles that I think as believers, 
there's more onus. There's more weight on us handling money correctly. And goodness, the world is watching. They are waiting for people of faith to screw up, to be people uh, you know who don't have high character, to not have integrity, to not be generous. And so I, I do think that we're on a pedestal in that way where we have to be leading the charge. We should be handling money in such a way that the world goes, goodness, that's different. They don't have a credit score. They don't have a credit card. They're, they paid off their house. Look at what they they gave in that way. That's inspiring. Maybe there's something to this faith thing. And so that's that's the underpinning of it. You can still be a Christian and be in debt, but goodness, life is just richer when you can get on the other side. Why do you think you didn't you didn't go to Ramsey as a personality? It's not like you just showed up and went, hey, I'm George. I think I'll be great on radio. You guys are going to love me. You'll put me on television. I'm going to write a book. You rose through the ranks. Why do you believe that God's given you a voice? Why do you think looking at it, and you got to rearview mirror this a little bit. Why do you think God says, I've got something I want you to do, George? Why do you think you found that voice? Oh, man, that's such a great question, Mike. I I question, I ask that question every day of mm-hmm. why me, God? Why did you choose me to, to carry this message, to be on cameras and microphones? Because I'm such an imperfect person who screwed up so much. I'm one of the least qualified people in a lot of ways. Uh, but I, I don't think it was something I was striving after in a weird way. You know, I started here as an intern in social media. I did email marketing for two and a half years. I went back to social media. I was doing all, I've had six jobs here at Ramsey. And then I started emceeing and hosting on stages as they saw that kind of that, that gift and talent. They went, Hey, let's put him on the stage and help him carry these events. But then I had lived out the principles in such a way that they were going, oh my gosh, this guy's naturally trying to find ways to deliver this content in a fresh way um, to bring this to a new audience, to a younger generation. He's lived it out. He's a great poster child for this mission. And so all of a sudden one day you get knighted as you're going to be sitting next to Dave Ramsey, co-hosting the Ramsey show. And you're just pinching yourself going, is this real life? God, why me? So I truly don't know. I'll tell you that I, 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 have worked my tail off on a, you know, we always say, pray like it all depends on God, work like it all depends on you. And that was a lot of my story. Um, And I do think this is a a great seat for me. I love what I do. I'm passionate about what I do. I hope I'm good at it. You know, we all have our days. Um, But it's one of those things where it made, it gave me hope that you can do something you love in today's world. Cause I was one of those guys who was floating. I was just a creative type who went, I'll meander and I'll work some retail jobs. And I tried to be a musician and I thought I'd go into film. And I always loved communicating in a creative way, uh, a message that meant something to me. And I'm, I'm doing that today in a very different way than I thought I would be. And I'm, I'm grateful every single day. And I don't have a great answer for you, Mike, of why, why God chose me, but I, I'm grateful that he chooses the people that you would never expect. It makes for an interesting story. I think that's the best part of the story, right? We read scripture and it's just full of people. It's full of guys like George and guys like Mike that in your platform's way bigger, but but it's just people that were available and you showed up, you just kept showing up. And whether all the people he wanted to use, I remember hearing a great pastor, he said, don't think you're that big a deal. God already had somebody else. They just weren't ready. And he he had to use you. You were the, you were the leftover. <laughs> oh, I love that. That's it's a great, such a great line. So as you think about this book, and a lot of love in this book, a lot of time in this book. What's your biggest prayer, George, 
for the college student that picks it up or the young leader in their 30s or 40s or even even a father or a mom that bought it for their kids and ended up reading it and they're 55 and they are broke. Not mm. on paper. They look good on paper, but they don't, they live paycheck to paycheck. What's your biggest prayer for how this book gets used in people's lives? Well, at the end of the book, I talk about this and I end with this interesting philosophical choice you get to make. And it's hope versus cynicism. And I talk about how I'm a recovering, you know, pessimist, a recovering cynic. And it's easy. It's the easy choice, truthfully. I realized for so long, I thought it was a badge of honor to kind of have this snark about me where it was easy to poke fingers at all the things that are wrong with the world and be that critic. But man, choosing hope is hard. It's exhausting. You got to get up every day and choose it again. Uh, but I've also found that every time I've chosen hope, it was a better day. It was a better life. And so that's the the paradigm shift you've got to make is not only unlearn some things, learn some new things about money, change your behavior, but it's also just realizing that there is hope for you yet. If you can fog up a mirror, whether you're 25 or you're 75, there's still hope in this country that you can get ahead with money, that you can still achieve that financial goal, that you can have more peace, more margin, more joy, less stress than ever before if you make these choices. And they're not easy choices. I lay that out. I tell you, hey, you're going to be offended by these. You're going to disagree with these. It's going to take a lot of behavior change, which is not easy for anyone. But man, the hope and peace on the other side of that, it's worth chasing after. And so that's how I end the book. And that's my prayer for people is that they'd walk away with a little smile on their face, feeling like David and Goliath, which is the analogy I use in the beginning of the book. I say, listen, Goliath, that's what life feels like. We're up against Goliath in this financial world. And the the deck is stacked against us, and here we are. We're just a lowly shepherd boy, David, with this little sling, and I talk about kind of the baby steps, and of course, uh, the Holy Spirit and God is is a huge part of this journey for those that walk with the Lord. But man, these little baby steps, they work, and you can take down Goliath when you just live on less than you make and get out of debt and have savings in the bank and invest for the future. You can overcome this giant, and the little man can get ahead in America today. And so that's my prayer for people. Have hope that you are David and we know how the story ends. You know what I loved about George so much? You can tell he believes what he's teaching. This isn't something that somebody told him to write. It's his story. It's the story of starting from years of being in debt to coming out now on the other side and being passionate about helping others do what he did. Also love he didn't start there at Ramsey as a personality. He grew into that because of his passion for how to manage your money and how to do what he learned how to do from the financial peace principles. So, so enjoyable. Man, I hope you enjoyed that. Remember, next week, Next Monday, I'll be sitting down with my son, Casey, talking about the takeaways, things that I learned, things that I got out of this episode that maybe can help us all on our journeys. But I sure hope you've enjoyed this. If you did, please leave a rate rating a review on Spotify or iTunes or on YouTube, wherever you're listening or watching from today, because it does help others find their way to us and always subscribe that way you don't miss 
a episode that's coming out. Well, our next episode, we get to sit down with another guy. He'll be making his uh, frequent appearance on our show, Jordan Rayner. And he's going to be talking about the sacredness of secular work. Absolute treatise on what it means to live out Christ doing whatever God's called us to do. I'm telling you, it's a classic, and you're going to love my time with Jordan. Well, thanks again for tuning in today. Now, go be the leader that God created you to be in the space and place that he's put you. And let's love God, let's love people, and let's live sin. Have a great day, everybody. Thank you for listening to the Lynch with a Leader podcast with your host, Mike Lynch. If you enjoyed this episode, you can help more people hear it by subscribing and leaving a review wherever you may be listening. For full episode notes and more spiritual leadership resources, visit MikeLynch.com.